Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now... K-I-R-P Radio!
K-I-R-P Radio! When you're looking for real truth, real talk radio, make sure you log on to KIRPRadioshow.com. Sunday nights live, 8 p.m. with your host. Rocco P, it's not Sunday night, it is Friday night. This is Last Fridays on the KIRP Radio Show with Rocco P, KIRP Keeping It Real with Pudgy Miller. And I am Rocco P. I thank Pudgy Miller once again for letting me use his platform at least once a month to do a show of my choice. This is not only the last Friday of the month, it's the last Friday of the calendar year. As I thought about this show, I uh I considered maybe doing a show on 2016 review, you know, what were the most uh, what were the most important political stories, highlights of that. Uh, wouldn't have been a bad uh wouldn't have been a bad format for a show, but I think you'd probably agree with me the biggest political story was out of New York, is that New York City, and that was uh, the Donald, Donald J. Trump, Donald J. Trump, billionaire realtor, billionaire realtor turned successful reality TV star, turned successful Republican presidential candidate, turned to become the Republican candidate for president, and who's now president-elect. I think that's the biggest story, hands down, without debate. If you want to call in, number 619-638-8559, I'm going to talk about the presidency and Trump, really, uh, could be said. I want to focus specifically on, yeah, really, how Trump won, and I don't mean the mechanics of how he got to over 270 electoral votes. Um, how did Trump, who was a legitimate outsider, win? In other words, this is someone that had no political experience. He had never run for anything, ever, and that did make Trump uh, that did make Trump unique. There's a lot of commentary on Trump, and uh, of course, you know, some people completely would reject Trump. We had the never-Trump never people within the Republican fold. And there was, of course, a lot of good things that, that have come thus far from the Trump uh, candidacy, from his campaign. And one of that was to, number one, help expose the duplicity of the two-party system. And by that specifically, I mean uh, when you're uh, a voter, and I'm guessing most people listen to the show vote, when you vote, you are told, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, that you know, your vote, you should vote for your party, regardless of who your candidate's running against, because the theory, what they use to control voters, voters is that your person is better than the other person. No matter how bad your person is, you, know, you, you got to stick with your, you got to stick with your person. And then they tell them it depends. Well, you don't, you don't really want to cast a protest vote because, 
that's meaningless. I mean, that that, that doesn't count. So in the end, at the end of the day, you got to vote DRR. And of course, that's not true depending upon the race. Uh, that's and that's not true even for presidency. Uh, how how do you change the political system? How do you break up the two party system? Well, you start to build a coalition. You get more and more votes outside the Republican Democratic parties. That's how you do it. That doesn't happen overnight. But Trump Trump's campaign again, he could be commended for that, whether it was intentional or not, is that he really exposed the facade, uh, uh, the veneer of party loyalty when you had openly in the Senate, you had uh, Ben Sass, I believe, from Nebraska openly saying he was not going to vote for Trump. You had Ohio Governor John Kasich, who stayed in the race for no good reason except to attempt to frustrate Trump. Uh, you had Kasich, you know, even in the general election, saying you know, he would not vote for Trump. And, and that, that's really that's really beautiful for activists and you know, voters to know, because next time someone, a well-meaning person, Democrat or Republican, you know, tells you, well, you just you have to vote for the person that wins the primary. Because if you don't, the world's going to end because the other candidate is worse. You have to politely, verbally slap them and say, oh, is that why John Kasich, Republican governor, refused to endorse and vote for Donald Trump? Is that why Ben Sass, Republican senator, refused to vote for Donald Trump? And the list goes on. This happened, this happened to, you go back to the 1960s when Barry Goldwater won the nomination. Goldwater, unlike Trump, was more a... Uh, Paleoconservative, uh, you know, Barry Goldwater was much more ideologically sound than Trump. You might say, well, that doesn't say much, but you know, Barry, Barry Goldwater, I believe, was the real deal. And the Republican establishment hated Goldwater; they despised Barry Goldwater. And you had prominent Republicans around the country after he won the election; they ensured his defeat, which didn't happen with Trump. But, but you know, to just throw out one factoid, you had. Willard Mitt Romney's dad was governor of Michigan at the time, and he publicly went on record saying he was not going to vote for Barry Goldwater, did not support him. So, you know, next time someone tells you Republican or Democrat, you just you have to vote for whoever wins the primary, or 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 the world is going to end, and you don't know how the system works, and you're you're just an idiot, and you're an apt, and you're going to waste your vote. You know, just say, well, I guess. You don't remember what happened in 2016 when Republican Governor John Kasich uh, refused to endorse and vote for Donald J. Trump. So that that was that was a great thing that came out of the Trump campaign. Another great thing is that it further demoralized the corporate media, the mainstream media, and further exposed their duplicity and their control. Now you can't blame Trump for all the leaked emails you, you, you can't you can't do that i mean he's uh, no one has said trump's responsible and of course i don't i don't, certainly don't believe russia's responsible but the reality is the media was unmasked no one disputes that those podesta emails and the dnc emails were not real no one disputes that and what came out of that among other things 
<laughs> is that the media the media's working lockstep with the Hillary Clinton campaign to get her elected. You, you had one clown, uh, this guy, I think he ended up in the New York Times, it's admitting in an email, I'm just a hack. Yeah, it's basically, yeah, he'd, he'd do whatever, he'd do whatever he could. You know, it's just, they were working with Hillary Clinton to uh, decide, they want her to, her campaign to decide what they were going to publish to review it. This is just, now these are things a lot of, a lot of astute people have known, a lot of people that have been carefully looking at the media have known for years, but, it was. It took it to a completely different level during this past campaign when they were just caught red-handed. Yeah, they they were just they were completely exposed. And again, that's something good that came out of the that came out of the Trump campaign. Some people have attempted to completely vilify Trump. Yeah, from day one through today. Uh, and others continue to defend him, regardless of you know, some of the evidence we're going to look at tonight. As far as yeah, you know, I want to focus really on the Wall Street connections, uh, the financial powers behind Trump at this point, uh, those he's, people he's decided to align himself with. And yeah, you know, my my position is I I basically take I've gone back and forth with Donald J. Trump, myself personally. I think now it's, and it was clear before, uh, yeah, before he uh, he won the, the general election and before he started appointing some of these uh, creatures, uh, when he says he's going to drain the swamp, he's actively refilling it with you know, a variety of other you know, strange and dangerous creatures. But the reality is I don't think, I don't think Trump was, is all bad in the sense that I don't think he was planned. I don't think it was all planned from day one. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll explain that. Why Why Donald Trump win? And again, I'm not saying yeah, how do you get to over 270 electoral votes. Uh, something that came out in this election was great. Obama was caught contradicting himself when Trump had raised the specter before the general election of the election potentially being rigged. Obama said that was ludicrous. And then, lo and behold, after the election, uh, Obama, yeah, Barack Hussein Obama, who I would like to refer to as Barry Satoro, since growing up he was known as Barry Satoro, his uh, adopted name, his father who adopted him in Indonesia, he was known as Barry Satoro, a good part of his life. Barry Satoro, after Trump won, then said, yeah, it's pretty much to a large degree it was thrown. Uh, and they blame Russia. And, yeah, we'll look at that, too. Uh, I see no evidence something came out today. Again, the uh, government paper came out today, and they don't they don't directly mention Podesta emails or anything. So I think that's largely trash. That's largely worthless. There's no hard evidence, period. But getting back to the illusion about the Trump campaign helping decloak and expose the duplicity of the media and the Trump campaign helping expose the duplicity of the two-party system with the people, you know, the staunch Republicans that were never Trump, you know, Bill Kristol, who had said at one point, you know, he drove for Hillary Clinton, and I think he deviated. Uh, George Will said he wouldn't vote for Trump. This was great. Again, that that, that was spectacular for people to see just how corrupt, how corrupt and uh, useless 
the power structure is. Now, will Trump help break it up? Uh, that remains to be seen at this point. It doesn't look that promising. We shall see. But those, are, those, are great, those are some great things that came out of the campaign. Uh, how, you know, why did Trump win? Another way that, that question can be posed is why was Trump selected? Why was Trump selected presidents? And most people in Congress, most governors, most uh, most statewide office holders, they're selected. They're not elected. And presidents are selected to a large degree. They're not elected. And you may find that you may take issue with that statement. You say, well, you know, why? You know, why do people vote? Uh, voting gives us creates the illusion of choice. That's why they keep voting going. That's why I laugh when I hear people in the so-called new media or some people talk about the alternative media, which has you know, grown by leaps and bounds. It's just been phenomenal. You look, the, you look the growth of Drudge. You look the growth of Breitbart during the election. Uh, it's It's been phenomenal, and that's, that is, that's very much a good thing. But some people in the alternative, which I like to call new media, are saying, you know, Obama's not going to leave office. It's just, it's, he's, you know, he, he's planning. You know, that's what all this is about. You know, these sanctions with Russia. And, uh, if Obama didn't leave office, that would further, almost completely expose the duplicity of the two-party system. Right? They control the populace. Remember, only about half the people vote for presidential elections. Sometimes it's 60 percent. I didn't check the numbers this last race, but you got 50, 60 percent of the people vote in a presidential election. When the president isn't running, when when you know, in the so-called non-presidential election year, it's even less. So you only have a minority of people that are voting, really, at least half the time. So they keep they keep us in the system. That they, they, they keep people in control. They keep people manipulated by giving us these false choices. If Obama were to, and of course, you know, the, the Constitution is violated all the time, if he took it to the next level and then attempted, because there's no off switch in the Constitution, there's nothing there that says, you know, if there's a crisis of X degree, then, you know, you, you know the president who was elected doesn't take office. There's just nothing like that there. So if that happened, that would further expose in people's minds, not just Republicans, but Democrats, just how rigged the system is. And of course, you know, that there's there's some sad people that think that would be good. They're supporting, you know, that believe Barack Hussein Obama is an honest man, he's not a creation of the CIA. And just like yeah, some people had said with George W. Bush, uh, I remember one op ed I read at the time, you know, they wanted Bush to continue in office. So, you know, you see that level of that severe level of mind control with both parties. But the point is if it did actually happen that would further expose the system for being completely fraudulent and bankrupt, and they don't want that to happen. So, no, no, uh, Barack Hussein Obama will leave office. They selected Donald J. Trump to be the next president. So uh, how, how deep did it go? I mean, was, was, the whole, was the whole election, was it completely fraudulent? Uh, obviously, I wasn't, in, I wasn't in all the meetings, and I would say no. I think Trump... The Trump candidacy, again, was unique. Not only did he have no political experience, but if you did follow the primary closely, it was evident that the intelligentsia, the leaders of the clearly wanted Marco Rubio, not Jeb Bush, 
to be president. Marco Rubio was the first choice. It was as far as policy, same form, fit, and function as Jeb Bush, but a younger guy, Latino, and plenty to blackmail him with. Just you know, tons to blackmail him with. There's there's strong evidence when he was a young man that Marco Rubio was homosexual. You know, that stuff is out there. Uh, uh, what is he today? I don't know. Is he bisexual? I, I don't know. But that evidence is out there. So he fit the mold for what they want. They want someone who is completely owned. Rubio is completely owned. They want someone that they like a new face from time to time. He was a new face. And you know, the Latino angle looks good. You have to create that illusion again of diversity, just, just like with Barack Obama. And I'm sure there's some people listening now that that you know you know would completely disagree with what I'm about to say. But Barack Obama, the fact that he was black and he was elected as a black man, not only did that mean absolutely nothing for black people, he 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 significantly hurt black causes in this country. If if you wanna if you wanna look at things in terms of race, okay. Look at jobs. You know, look, the, look at look at family life. Barack Hussein Obama, aka Barry Satoro, was complete disaster for black people. Yet the illusions created due to political correctness and cultural Marxism that because he was black, somehow this was a colossal victory for all people that are black. And you know that's that's a colossal lie. And and that lie that that lie. Uh, not from a racial angle, but but in terms of sexual identity, this is what was largely propelling Hillary Clinton, Hillary Rodham Clinton, who, before her husband was selected president, was Hillary Rodham, then she became Hillary Rodham Clinton, then she became Hillary Clinton. But that was largely driving her identity as a candidate. She is a woman, she said. So she's the ultimate outsider. And then you saw the mind control slogans. I'm with her. I'm with her. <laughs> people and I and people believe that. I mean, I work with someone, and a woman kept on pressing me. It's like, so don't you believe? Don't you believe that Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton's the best candidate because she's a woman? Don't you think it would be it would be great for the country to elect a woman? <laughs> and people believe this. Yeah, and people believe this. Uh, presidents are, are, are largely selected. Uh, they're not elected. So that begs the question, why Why was Donald J. Trump selected? Again, I don't think it was that level of, of theater. Uh, in other words, I don't think, you know, five years ago, ten years ago, they said, well, yeah, Donald J. Trump, he's, he's going to be elected when Obama's done. Yeah, he's a guy, okay, no. If you followed the primaries closely, uh, a lot of big money went to Marco Rubio. And a lot of money went to Jeb Bush, of course. That was all wasted. Consultants did well. Consultants did great on Jeb Bush. Made a lot of money. Uh, but when you looked at almost magically, I mean, it was very quickly around the country, and I saw this in North Carolina, where Pudgy and I live, the Republican establishment in North Carolina solidly, I mean solidly and overwhelmingly, endorsed Marco Rubio. When I was at when I was at uh, the Wake County Convention, GOP Convention, yeah, it was amazing just 
you know, was, and the information had been out there. Names had been circulated, uh, you know, via email by, uh, you know, p- prominent Republicans. The establishment was behind Rubio. He was their guy. So I don't think the whole thing with Trump, I don't think the whole thing was planned. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think it was all staged. But it still begs the question then, how and why did Trump win? Why, why was he why was he selected? And again, we talked about selected. A couple other things about voting to take into consideration. Number one, they like to keep races tight because that helps create the illusion of choice. They like to keep races close. That helps create the illusion of choice, especially when it comes down to president because people love, they love the popularity contest of the president of the United States. It's just that they love it. And, of course, yeah, post-World War II, the office of the president has been yeah, elevated to that of a dictator. So there's tremendous power in that seat, in that in that office. But they keep it close to keep people in the race. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a Las Vegas or Atlantic City casino. Sometimes the House, yeah, people will win some money, but the House never loses. In other words, the House... The house doesn't lose at the end of the night. The house doesn't lose at the end of the year. They always make money. And the house is predicated, the house operates on, on under the proposition. You've got to keep people coming back to get them to the table. And that's the way it works with voting. You've just got to get people coming back because let's say if, let's say if, if theoretically 95% of the people refused to vote, they were true consent, they said, this is fraudulent, it takes too much money to run, People that are real, in other words, that actually represent the people in both parties, cannot advance in the primary system. He had someone like Greg Brandon when he ran against Tom Tillis. Tom Tillis was inserted and injected into the North Carolina General Assembly to eventually become senator. He was pre-selected, and it did work. When Brandon ran, he, he basically he declares candidacy first in that race. In the primary, it took Tillis and Pax $10 million to defeat Brandon and a preacher, Mark Harris, both of whom Brandon, Dr. Brandon and Mark Harris had no political experience, and still took still took Tillis and associate affiliated Pax $10 million to win. Now, I think there was some voter fraud there. I think, you know, the machines, it's very easy to do. But the point is, if the people realized that the system is that rigged, and if people just pulled out, if you had 95% of people didn't vote, then yeah, the system the system really could easily go away. <laughs> but they keep us coming back. They keep us coming back in spite of that. So those are the things taking the place. Then we'll talk a little bit more about why why this happened. Why was Trump, who wasn't really supposed to win in my opinion, why was he pre-selected? And in addition to that, uh, what can we then expect? I know I've got a call. I'm going to take a break, and I will take that call. We will be back in a few minutes. You're listening to the KIRP radio show. Last Fridays with Rocco P. KIRP radio! How many more innocent people? How many more? How many more? What has been the number one cause of unnatural death in history? Democide, or death by government, has killed 290 million people on record. Look it up. Go look it up. In the 20th century, 
government murdered four times as many people as were killed in all the international and domestic wars combined. USSR, 61,911,000 people killed. Hitler's Germany, nearly 21 million people killed. Japan's imperialism, nearly 6 million people killed. Western colonization killed over 50 million people. Pol Pot's Cambodia, funded by the U.S. government, 2 million people killed. China's Communist Party, as many as 76 million people killed between 1949 and 1987. And the list goes on and on. Demand to know why the Department of Homeland Security bought more than 1.6 billion hollow point bullets. How many more people does government have to kill? Enough. Enough. Demand an end to citizen disarmament. As an American. As an American citizen. As a patriot. For your children. Enough of the people laying down and letting government kill them in mass after disarming them as they've done throughout history over and over again. Now is the time. It's time. It's time to realize that when the government takes your guns, people die. It's time to realize the biggest threat to you and your family is government. It's time to recognize government is the greatest killer of all time. Demand they show you the word hunting in the Second Amendment. Demand our politicians uphold the Constitution and Bill of Rights as they swore to when they took office. It's time for our leaders to read the Constitution. It's time for our leaders to obey the Constitution. The Constitution. The Constitution. Because a well-regulated militia with 10-round magazines wouldn't last very long. So now you know the most dangerous thing to you and your family in the world is government. Because mass murderers agree, gun control works. K-I-R-P Radio! You're listening to the K-I-R-P Radio Show. Last Friday's with Rocco P. I do have a caller. Hello, you are on the air. May I have your name in the state where you live, please? Hello. Sorry. Okay. Hello, caller. Are you there? Hello? Hey, thank you for calling. May I have your name in the state where you live? I'm in Atlanta. It's Naj. What's up? Hey, and what's your first name, sir? Naj. Naj. And what would you like to talk about with Donald, the Donald J. Trump American presidency transition? What would you like to talk about, sir? Uh, well, I, I guess it, I I came on late, so I've just heard you for a few minutes. Well, the one thing would be, because uh, I, I hear a lot of people talk about, you know, the presidents are selected and, you know, everything else. Yeah, there, I mean – we we could say there's a process. They limit us down to a couple of choices, and then at that point we get that choice. But there's competing monetary interests on both sides. So they're not only funding both sides, but both of them have, you know, different directions they want to go. So in the one percenter game of musical chairs, uh, one administration gets in, certain one percenters don't get a seat at the table. So, you know, there is a little bit of competition even within, you know, the oligarchy. But – you know, Trump pulled off the surprise. He's in, and he immediately fills his cabinet with, you know, all of these ridiculous people who, I, I mean, I'll, I'll just put it like this. Instead of us having the normal process of having a government official being bought by billionaires, he actually just went ahead and put the billionaires there. So he eliminated the middleman. 
So I, I think we get more of the same, uh, but just more uh, drastic because these guys, I mean, he, he's appointing people who openly want to get rid of the departments they're running. So it's going to be problematic. Uh, I think we're going we're gonna to get some kind of recession in a few years, and we're going to see, you know, grabbing of government money like we've, we haven't seen in a long time. So basically things will be as normal for most Americans after the Obama presidency, after the W presidency, not much has changed. Oligarchic rule, uh, dressed up in a different way, more cartoonish, more boorish, not as polished as it used to be. So it is what it is. Uh, I feel sorry for anybody who still believes in Repub or Dem as a viable party to support. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with uh, you know, uh, the vast majority of what you said. Yeah, I'd nuance a couple of points. Uh, I'm Republican, uh, and obviously you know my views of the two-party system. Uh, it's, it's largely a fraud. Uh, North Carolina, for example, I don't want to like in Georgia, but the laws are, are restrictive. They really don't want competition. Uh, they really don't want you get ridiculous reasons for why the laws ballot access is so hard. And they'll say, well, yeah, you don't want a really long ballot. It's like government wastes money on so many things. Do you really think people would care if a ballot was 5 or 10 or 20 pages? No. I mean, yeah, open it up. So it's ridiculous the way they, they limit our choices through the party system. And another great law they could pass if you if you want to go law way, if you want to use the power of government to limit government, which we know they don't do, just say, let's eliminate parties. Just eliminate, you know, make, make political parties illegal then. <laughs> but uh, I, I tend to agree with Trump. I don't, I'm not optimistic at this point. Uh, and I am going to talk later on in the show about, about the Goldman Sachs connections and some of the other financial interests. Uh, Trump, right. Trump is, well, I think, yeah, I think we have some of the same sentiments. So I don't understand yeah. why you would support a Trump. Uh, I would, I wouldn't, I didn't support Obama, and I had to argue with family members for this whole yeah. term. And I feel like now it's you guys' turn, the guys on the right who are sensible. Yeah. It's your turn to have those arguments with your family yeah. who are believing, you know, what somebody is is selling to them. Because I had to explain right. things to people in my family about Obama when they were blindly following somebody whose yeah. policy directly. Uh, were not only against what they believed, but was presenting something in public and actually acting differently as far as policy. And I think the same thing is right here for you guys on the right. So, I mean, at a certain no, no, point, what, man, we got to give up these banners. No, no, what, 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 yeah, it, well said. Like I said, the, the, reason, the, reason, the only reason that I, that I use the, re, the Republican label is this, is because ballot access, because there's, there's just, it's so hard to get on the ballot as – yeah, a non-Republican or a Democrat, but I have no illusions as far as how they use the system. All you can really do, there's a couple of things you can do as an activist in the political system. Uh, some people don't vote, and again, not voting isn't going to change things, just like voting uh, rarely does change things. It's what you do when you're not voting, or uh, uh, it's what you do in between elections. The point being if you are going to be involved as far as races, and I think most of what activists can do, because the system is so thoroughly corrupt, most of it is like this. It's education. It's getting people educated to get to the point where then things could actually change at a more fundamental level. But 
what do you do if you are if you are in a party? Okay. You use the party to try and get people that are legitimate elected and to expose inside to expose the corruption of the party. I mean, I've been to Republican things. I've I've had uh, I, I've written resolutions against abortion. Uh, the state of North Carolina can nullify abortion anytime they want, but the Republicans play the game. They manipulate their constituents by saying they're against, they're pro-life, but then they won't do anything about it at the state level. So those those are the type of things. But no, I don't blindly vote Republican. I went back and forth with Donald, Donald J. Trump. Uh, I was convinced after he chose Pence, who was a consummate insider, Pence had voted against all all of Trump's core issues when he was in Congress. You know, he was for amnesty. He was for the fake trade deals. So I was convinced then that you know Trump Trump was yeah you know, it was worthless. But it was still hard for me to go in. I didn't, I'm, I've been casting protest votes since 2004. It was hard for me to go in thinking that even though in the end. Yeah, like you said, it's the oligarchy. Both sides pretty much are going to get their way. Uh, you know, we head towards the same position, regardless who's in office. But it just—I I couldn't. Get, if there was a chance that I could stop Hillary, it still bothered me. But in the end, you're right. I mean, uh, at that level, you really—you you just don't have a choice. It's really—you really don't have a choice. Yeah, but uh, us uh, opposition voters, we have a great tradition too, man. You know, the Mark Twain of oh, the yeah. world and all these other guys back in the day, oh, yeah. uh, they were willing to walk away from the parties, man. So I, I think it's yeah. still worth it. And it also hits them where it hurts because they have to – if you don't show up, then they can just say, disaffected voter, he's not interested. But when you come out and vote for a third party who you know has no chance of winning, they have to document that. They have to say, okay, why are we losing so many people on the ultra-left or the ultra-right, libertarian or Green Party, whatever it is. They have to deal with that. And like you talked about, in the state level, uh, in Republican areas where you have a libertarian group that's kind of popular, you'll see them do everything they can to make it so hard for them to get on the ballot. You go to Democrat areas where the Green Party is significant, same thing. And that's why they have to run in federal elections because they won't be eligible for state elections if they're not on the federal ballot, which is an amazing trick that the Dems and Repubs pulled off to keep the third parties out. So, you know, it is what it is, man. But, uh, I'm a, you know, I'm going to kick back and listen to you on your show, man. Thanks. But Thanks for it, calling. it's good to suss some of this stuff out, man, you know. Thanks for calling. Happy New Year. So, Donald Trump was selected. You may not believe presidents are selected more than elected, what would I say to support that? A couple of things. Uh, we, a Republican was supposed to win in 2016. A Republican was supposed to win. Why do I say that? If you look at recent years, uh, we've been on a pattern since Bill Clinton was elected in 1992 where you have, you have eight years, you have two terms of one party, and then you have two terms of a of the other party. That's pretty much the pattern that we have been on. That's the pattern we've been on. And you see that again with Clinton. So you'd say, well, why why then would George H.W., George Herbert Walker Bush, why did he only get one term? I'd say, well, he basically had three terms. He was just, he was pretty much running the show under Reagan. <laughs> you know, it doesn't give me great joy to say that, but you, you have, you know, one of the most corrupt political families, uh, one of the most corrupt families in U.S. history, the Bushes, and he was pretty much former CIA director, extremely 
corrupt and dirty, which is pretty much running the show. If you remember Reagan, there was that assassination attempt shortly after Reagan was elected, and George Herbert Walker Bush was pretty much running the show. So he got three terms. It's not that he got one; he really got three. So we've been on this. We've been on this pattern. We had two, then with Clinton, Bill Clinton. Uh, then we had two with George W. Bush. Then we had two with Barack Hussein Obama, a.k.a. Barry Satorio. So it was supposed to be Republican this time. What I believe is that, yeah, the uh, the power elite, uh, the men behind the curtain, I'd say the New World Order, why they went with Trump is this. They saw a golden opportunity. They saw an opportunity to create the illusion of choice by saying, we'll give... We'll, we'll let someone who is using populism, someone who, who is saying a lot of things that people wanted to hear uh, about controlling the borders, which, again, I've said repeatedly the war on terror is a hoax. Uh, as long as the borders are open, he said a lot about jobs that resonate with the people. So I thought, think New World Order saw a golden opportunity to say if we, if we go with Donald J. Trump, we can create the illusion that the people won one, but aren't going to win. I believe we have another caller here. Good evening. You're on the air. May I have your name, please? No, this is just me. I called back just to listen, so I'm listening on, uh, you know, on my phone. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. All right. Thank you. Thank you much. Sorry about that. So why why was that? Why 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 they said so the opportunity the opportunity presented itself to again further create the illusion of choice. Instead of going with an establishment figure, let the people think they won one. And why do I say let the people think they won one? Well again we see what Donald J. Trump has done even before he secured even before he, he won the general election. Uh, Governor Pence, when he was Congressman Pence, supported amnesty. Governor Pence, when he was Congressman Pence, supported these free trade deals. So they uh, they could not. It made no sense to say you know, Trump was independent when he was he was making selections like that. And of course, then it got worse after he was elected, going with Rance Priebus, chairman of the Republican National Committee to be his chief of staff made absolutely no sense for someone who's going to drain the swamp. And it goes on and on and on. We'll look at some of those appointments, particularly tied to the financial interest, particularly tied to Goldman Sachs. The other thing you have to take into place as far as presidents being selected, not really elected, is this. After World War II, with the passage of the National Security Act and related legislation, the office of the American president essentially has become a dictatorship, become a dictatorship. So as it's a dictatorship, then uh, <laughs> they cannot, the powers that be can't let someone that isn't controlled become president. So once again, that begs the question, was it, was it all massive, a massive reality show? Was this all decided beforehand with Trump or not? I don't think it was, again. I don't think it was the Republican establishment. The money and the people in office were squarely behind Marco Rubio, who, again, was an ideal candidate for them. He was a new face for the same policies. 
and someone they could easily blackmail and destroy because of his early life when it was fairly well documented he was homosexual. So uh, Donald J. Trump wasn't wasn't really he, he they did not want him, but they could use him. They could use him. What I think has happened for Trump is, is he for real? Uh, so he's, you say, well, how do you define real? Real is this: is he is he completely controlled? Uh, and I'd say this: it doesn't matter at this point because they're still going to have their way with him. It doesn't matter. In other words, it wasn't. I don't think it was all theater. I think the race was real to that extent, but they did decide, the New World Order decided to go with Trump to create that illusion again, to give people hope that they could influence uh, they could influence the election and have someone who was a real leader, someone who who was who, who held who held populist positions, who was allegedly for the people by having him win. And again, with who he has selected, uh that there's no real indication that Trump is going to deliver in a significant way. So there's a couple there's a couple of things that that they may do with Trump. Uh, in the end, uh, it could go a couple of ways. One way with Trump is they could just say, okay, uh, we're going to take the economy, and then you know Trump will be the next Herbert Hoover. In other words, we go into a mass recession or a worse depression. You could argue we're in depression now. When you look at real unemployment rates, so-called Great Depression in the United States, our employment was between 20, 25 percent. We're right around 20 percent now, have been for quite some time. Uh, US, the federal government manipulates those unemployment numbers by not counting people that are unemployed but not actively looking for work. Okay. So we're we're right around. We've been around Great Depression level unemployment for a while. So expect things to get worse the privately owned banking cartel that controls the credit and currency of the United States, the Federal Reserve, has already increased interest rates, and they, they will continue to do so. Eventually, the U.S. dollar will fail. The U.S. dollar, which is really the Federal Reserve note, will fail. It's a fiat currency is backed by nothing except the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. They've got away with this charade for years because after World War II, because of the Bretton Woods Agreement, the U.S. dollar, which is really the Federal Reserve note, was accepted as the world reserve currency. As other countries are moving away from the dollar, it's happening with OPEC countries and others, happening with the BRICS countries, Brazil, Russia, India, and China, as they move away from holding U.S. dollars as the world reserve currency, eventually the U.S. dollar, which is the Federal Reserve note, will become worthless. That may or may not happen during the Trump presidency, but at the very least, I think the economy is going to tank. And then the PSYOP, the message from the media, will be, uh, do not deviate. This is what happens when you go with someone, uh, when you vote for someone with no political experience. This is what happens when you go with an outsider. And it could get even worse. Uh, you look at John Whitehead, what he said. John Whitehead, Rutherford Institute, he's been talking a lot, wrote his last book about the police state, about how we are. And we are. I mean, we are in a police state now. We're in more the cuddly phase. But more and more, uh, there's no rights uh, that are sacrosanct. In other words, there's no rights that we have that are not being eviscerated and taken away piece by piece. Talk about the right to privacy. Where is it electronically when they admit the NSA has everything electronically? Yeah. 
If they have it, they can retrieve it. Uh, it's there. Local police have have uh, have other devices. If they can't, if they're not in the pecking order, if they can't tap into what the NSA has, like a lot of the federal agencies, a lot of them have their own devices uh, to do similar things to track cell phone calls, uh, to listen to cell phone calls. They have uh, they they have the ability to to do that. You know, to tr- set up a shop near mobile mobile devices uh, can can intercept cell data. So we're losing those rights. Uh, Trump himself said during the election, one of the many, many on guard statements where Trump really expressed what he thought about civil liberties and the Bill of Rights, where he said he thought the policy of stop and frisk, which was uh, instituted in New York City after 9-11, after 9-11, after the U.S.'s worst domestic terrorist attack, which was obviously an inside job, after that happened, New York Institute stop and frisk, meaning militarized police, heavily armed police, anywhere police who weren't heavily armed in New York City, happen on subways all the time, could walk up to anyone, just say, let me see what's in your purse, let me see what's in your briefcase, let me see what's in your pockets. Oh, yeah, stop and frisk, no warrant, no warrant required. And Trump said he thinks that would be great nationwide. So so that's another, that may be another plan with Trump is that they may use him to further the police state. I think Trump wasn't owned, but in the end, it doesn't matter because he gets owned. What do I mean by that? He becomes owned. Trump has cut all these deals. You know, he's got he's got all 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 the vermin. He has all these vermin surrounding him. Again, Rents Priebus as chief of staff. Uh, he's got Mnuchin as Treasury Secretary. I'll talk about him later. Former Goldman Sachs alum. I think he was with Goldman Sachs for 17 years. And then worse than that, we'll talk about the Indy-Mac deal and about you know, Mnuchin's morals, what he's done with, with how he's manipulated money, uh, how, he, how he's basically lied lied to people to steal money from people. And the government has facilitated, has basically facilitated his profiting off of people uh, in a very, very notorious, immoral, and illegal way. But these are the people Trump has surrounded himself with. Uh, you know, these are the people he's surrounded himself with. He appoints the one guy he appointed to the CIA. Uh, this was a congressman, Pompeo, that said Edward Snowden should be executed. So, a lot, you know, a number of libertarians. I don't mean the co-opted Libertarian Party, which you know at the national level is just as useless as the Republicans and Democrats. I'm saying philosophical libertarians, some people uh, that are that are competent support Trump and sort of a little group libertarians for Trump. And part of their thinking was early on, Trump represents an ability to break up the existing political corruption. He, he's a, he gives he gives the U.S. a chance. He gives the people a chance to break up that duopoly power. And you can make a lot of sense like that. I mean, a lot of that did make sense at the time. Because he was legitimate outsider, there's no doubt the Republican establishment uh, hated Trump. But we see how it's turning out now thus far. And of course, it's it's not he hasn't he hasn't uh, taken office yet. But we learn we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot about his cabinet picks, the people he's chosen to surround him, even someone like Bannon, uh, who's from Breitbart. I mean, this is another Goldman Sachs alum. So there's a pattern here as far. As far as a lot of the people that 
that are around him. Uh, I don't expect this to be a good time for our liberties, and I don't expect it to be a good time for the economy. Uh, in spite of, even though Trump may have had good intentions, it is still theoretically possible. This is a guy I think he obviously has an ego as big as as big as a galaxy, and I think he's arrogant enough to think he could cut all these deals with inside Republicans and listen to them to surround himself with these people and then still think, still be that arrogant to think that he's in charge. Uh, now, I want to uh, I want to talk a bit about about some of those selections. The only other thing I would say before I, I've got some videos, the only thing I would say with this is that if you if you question about the fact that presidents, about how presidents are controlled, if you think, if you're highly skeptical about the power of the president in relation to the deep state, or what some people call the shadow government, if you think presidents actually are in control, I'd just say do a little research about John F. Kennedy and go to startpage.com or duckduckgo.com and search for a document called Operation Northwoods. Operation Northwoods. When JFK was in the White House, he discovered there was a document called Northwood, Operation Northwoods that was written by the Joint Chiefs of Staff. It was written by the Pentagon. I believe it was Lyman Lemnitzer, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, put his name on it. And it talked about how could, tactically, literally, I mean, how could methods methods the United States could use to uh, basically cause a war between the United States with Cuba and Russia. Now, Operation Northwoods was a document written by the Pentagon. It landed on JFK's desk. He never endorsed it. He never followed it. That gave detailed plans for how the U.S. could create the illusion that Russia and or Cuba were provoking the U.S. when the U.S. basically wanted to start a war with them. It talked about tactics they could use. Uh, they said they could do some wonderful things like they could disguise a United States fighter jet as a MiG, as a Russian MiG fighter, and say it was, you know, it was Cuban jet or actual Russian jet. It was either under Russian or Cuban command. And they say what we could do then is then have that disguised MiG shoot down a U.S. passenger flight loaded with students during the holidays. Oh, yeah, Operation Northwoods. Operation Northwoods, check it out. So this lands on JFK's desk, and he was a guest. And uh, among other things, this got JFK to ask a really fundamental question as President of the United States. He didn't request this report to be written. He didn't request it. It lands on his desk. Who was making these plans? <laughs> Who was telling the Pentagon? The Pentagon came in the United States, at least theoretically, theoretically, the entire military structure, all the branches of the military, are under civilian command, allegedly. And if you take constitutional view, the president is only commander-in-chief when war is declared. That, unfortunately, hasn't happened since during World War II has happened in a long time. The U.S. went to war with Korea based upon starting a very, very dangerous precedent under the auspices of the United Nations. 
happened with Vietnam too, was Congress never declared war. Well, the point is, you look at this from John F. Kennedy's perspective as president. He sees this horrific plan to use really false flag attacks. No, false flags. You attack yourself, but you cover yourself in the flag of your alleged enemy to create the illusion that your enemies attacked you. So JFK sees these highly detailed plans for false flag attacks to provoke a war with Cuba and Russia, and, well, then the Soviet Union, and he rejects it. So then, you know, JFK led to a series of other things. JFK fired the chairman and joined chiefs of staff. <laughs> and we know a lot about JFK's assassination. Uh, no, was not a lone gunman. Okay, you could go into the church commission. Uh, you could just do a star page search on the church commission. Duck, duck, go, church commission, JFK assassination. You'll see the U.S. Congress did their own investigation in the early 70s. And they concluded that in all probability there was conspiracy to assassinate President Kennedy. In all probability there was at least two shooters involved, easily. So, those are some things to think about concerning the power of the president. The power, the office of the president has been trans, transformed into a dictator. So, the powers that be, however you want to construe those powers, whether you want to call that the deep state, if you want to call that the shadow government, uh, if you'd say, as I would, it's the New World Order, they cannot let someone who's not under their control become president. So Trump, again, is interesting, because I don't think he was when he was running, not completely. But over time, you see the, the appointments he's made, particularly when he chose Pence as his VP. You see the people he surrounds himself with. Trump may be arrogant enough to think he could surround himself with these people and still be in charge, and he will not be in charge. If, if to assassinate Trump, they could have done that a long time ago, okay? And I just I just want to be careful as far as my uh, where I believe ultimately about God and the universe. I believe God's sovereign. He's ultimately in control of the universe, not men. Man rules. God, God overrules, okay? Man rules. God overrules men. But these people, if they were able to assassinate JFK in broad daylight and get away with it in, what, in you know, the early 1960s, uh, yeah, uh, the deep state was more capable of assassinating Donald J. Trump. He's far more valuable to to the shadow government alive than dead for this, for this reason again. He creates, he further perpetuates and creates the illusion of choice. They let the people think they've created, they've chosen a populist leader, and then they completely destroy him, not by killing him, but by destroying his policies, by tanking the economy. And or, worse yet, if they start wars, Trump could easily be manipulated. I mean, if if this guy said, and again, I know he flip-flopped a lot, but if this is a guy that felt real comfortable with stop and frisk, saying that that could be implemented throughout the entire country now, imagine, just imagine, a 10-kiloton nuke goes off in Chicago. Donald Trump is surrounded by these people. You think Donald J. Trump as president is going to then care about the Constitution? No. 
whatsoever he would. I want to park on it. I want to focus on some of these financial interests, though. Goldman Sachs and others around Donald J. Trump. I've got a few videos, and they do express, they, they do reveal a lot of where Trump was at. If you remember during the primary, Donald Trump rightly criticized Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz, when he was still a Canadian citizen, he was elected to U.S. Senate, and a lot of people, including a lot of Christians, and yet born-again Christians, unfortunately, have no idea Cruz was a Canadian citizen then. But he just happened to forget that he got a $1 million loan from Goldman Sachs, and his wife was high-level Goldman Sachs. And that was rather illegal. Of course, nothing happened to Ted Cruz because Ted Cruz is owned. Ted Cruz is a great example of a you know, totally, totally fake patriot, completely completely fake Tea Party. Yet he, he speaks line. But I'm going to play a clip during the primaries here where you, you see what Trump said about Cruz then. I mean, you give a campaign contribution to Ted Cruz, you get whatever the hell you want, okay? Whatever you want. And he's a very nice guy, but you give him. You have to get, right? <laughs> you have to get, well, excuse me, excuse me. He didn't report his bank loans? Excuse me. Didn't report his bank loans? Say whatever you want. He didn't report bank loans? That's okay. He didn't report his bank loans. He's got bank loans from Goldman Sachs. He's got bank loans from Citibank folks. And then, and then, and then he acts like Robin Hood. You know, say whatever you want, but doesn't work that way. So we have to use our best people. We have to be smart. We have to be tough. We have to be vigilant, and we can do it. And we can make America greater than ever before. Okay, Donald J. Trump on the campaign trail, rightly criticizing Ted Cruz for not reporting a $1 million loan from Goldman Sachs, among other things. And Ted Cruz, again, Rafael Ted Cruz conveniently said he forgot. That still makes it illegal. He's a lawyer. He knows that. Uh, Trump uh, Trump talk, talked about this more than once. Here's, uh, here's another piece. Then in his papers, you know, his financial applications, it's a very, very strict, very... He didn't put in a couple of minor things. He said he was going to sell assets to run for the Senate and all of this. Well, that's not what he did. He borrowed money from Goldman Sachs, and he borrowed money from Citibank. So it came out a week ago, a little while ago, that he borrowed money from Goldman Sachs, but nobody knew about Citibank. Then he came out that he borrowed money. He never put it in his personal financial disclosure form. That's a big no-no. If I did that, can you imagine the headlines of me? I have billions and billions of dollars of stuff. I put in almost 100 pages. Every reporter back there, they've gone over every word. I mean, you haven't heard anything. I mean, I have professional people doing it, but you haven't. I guess I got the right professional people, because believe me, if there was two cents worth of mistake, I'd have nothing but, you know, newspaper headlines. But I put in almost 100, the largest personal financial statement ever ever written, ever done, almost 100 pages, and it's fine. You know, it's fine. It's gone over by everybody, and it's fine. Here's a guy with, with two bank loans that, that we know of, but the problem is he didn't do it purposely because what he wanted to do is say, I will protect you from Goldman Sachs. 
I will protect you from Citibank, and I will protect you for the banks, because I'm Robin Hood, and I'm this wonderful senator, and I'm going to protect you for these banks. And then he's borrowing from the banks. And by the way, he's got personal guarantees, and he got low-interest loans. He's got low-interest loans and low interest. And now he's going to go after Goldman Sachs? doesn't work that way. Goldman Sachs owns him. Remember that, folks. They own him. And what he did was wrong because he didn't want you to know that he's dealing with banks, that he's borrowing money with banks, that he's personally guaranteeing loans with banks, because if he puts them down, that he's just like all the other guys. So Donald J. Trump on the campaign trail, associating, correctly associating Rafael Ted Cruz with Goldman Sachs. Now, to be fair with Trump, it did come out during the campaign that Goldman Sachs, I'd say, made a token, a token declaration against Trump. Uh, they basically banned donations of certain people to Trump because their reasoning was they did not want uh, anyone to donate to someone who had been held state office, who was then running for federal office. So then that eliminated Trump because of Pence. But I'll play that piece. This. Goldman Sachs is now telling top executives that they cannot donate to the Trump-Pence campaign. The investment bank setting new rules to shield the firm from accusations of pay-to-play. The restriction prohibits donations to politicians who are running for state or local office, as well as donations to state officials who are seeking federal office, which would apply, of course, to Governor Mike Pence. That is the loophole that does not apply to the other campaign, the Clinton campaign, because Senator Kane is not considered a local or state official. So that's kind of interesting. Uh -huh. So to, bo to borrow Steyerwalt's comparison about the, the fish or the chicken, I mean, but <laughs> I guess they can't have either. You don't get to pick the fish or the chicken <laughs> at Goldman Sachs. <laughs> right. If you want to donate to one of the presidential campaigns, it sounds like the only one that you're allowed to donate to it is the Clinton campaign. Or if you want to eat, you'll do what we say. <laughs> so that that was interesting. That played into uh, you know that played into the narrative. You know, Trump was was against Goldman Sachs, and it would appear. I mean, I didn't do exhaustive research, but it would appear, in spite of all the years that Trump was working in and around New York City, uh, and of course he has you know international uh, holdings. Yeah, he's got uh, he's got. Uh, walk golf courses and other real estate around the world. It would appear he never did actually himself deal with Goldman Sachs, which was very interesting. But he played this. Uh, he played this, and he also played this as far as Goldman Sachs and Wall Street angle. He played this against Hillary with good reason, uh, because you know Hillary had given those speeches. I think one was two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. And there were transcripts made, but never made public, about what she said, Goldman Sachs. So, you know, Trump went after that. But then, lo and behold, uh, you know, when he wins, and even during the campaign, you know, he had appointed Mnuchin to be involved with his campaign finance. And now Mnuchin is going to be Treasury Secretary, which means his name will be on the Federal Reserve note or the U.S. dollar. So... Gonna play one piece here. This is a this guy is a neoliberal, but his his criticisms are valid. I'm gonna play a little bit of his video. He talks about what Trump has done as far as uh, appointments. Time to it. Goldman Sachs. 
Donald Trump ran against Hillary Clinton's perceived coziness with Wall Street. That very acutely included investment bank Goldman Sachs. Trump slammed Hillary Clinton, the entire campaign, during debates even, for her connections to Goldman Sachs. He slammed Hillary Clinton for giving speeches to Goldman Sachs. And now Trump is hiring the people who hired Hillary Clinton to give those speeches. You'll remember that it wasn't just through the Hillary Clinton uh, uh, insults that Trump slammed Goldman Sachs. Trump also slammed Goldman Sachs during the Republican primary, criticizing Ted Cruz for having taken a loan from Goldman Sachs, saying, I know the guys at Goldman Sachs. They have total, total control over Cruz, just like they have total control over Hillary Clinton. Wow, really sharp, pointed critiques. Uh, and it seemed almost like it was going both ways, because you'll remember that in September, Goldman Sachs banned certain employees from donating to Donald Trump's campaign. It seemed official. Trump is anti-Goldman. Goldman doesn't want employees at a certain level donating to Donald Trump, period. And then we had Trump's final pitch to voters. Trump actually used an image of Lloyd Blankfein in a TV ad to argue that insiders from Wall Street had ruined the lives of ordinary Americans to enrich themselves. Wow, very Bernie Sanders-like, very uh, a populist sounding, except now the Trump swamp is being filled with Goldman Sachs veterans. We have Goldman Sachs's Gary Cohn, who is going to be heading up Trump's economic council. We have Goldman Sachs's Steve Mnuchin, who is going to be heading, out, uh, heading up Trump's secretary department. And then, of course, we have climate science denier Anthony Scaramucci, who is a former Goldman Sachs guy and a key transition member for Trump. Now you could tell that guy David Parkman is a neoliberal because yeah you know, he yeah you know, that barber about denying climate science but but uh, the other stuff he said it was uh, I mean it was spot on uh, it was definitely spot on and there's one other uh, there's one other video one other video here I'd like to play a few minutes of this is a guy humanist humanist report I just pulled it up haven't listened to him apart from this. But he does make again some salient points about uh, what Trump, where Trump has gone with some of these appointments. So, for example, we all know that Hillary Clinton was very cozy with Wall Street, uh, specifically Goldman Sachs. She gave speeches to Goldman Sachs and was paid two hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars for just one hour. Uh, she took millions of dollars from Wall Street, and Donald Trump rightfully called her out for that. But. He's kind of doing the same exact thing now. Politico explains, Goldman Sachs is dominating the early days of the incoming Trump administration. The newly picked Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, spent 17 years at Goldman. Trump's top incoming White House advisor, Steve Bannon, spent his early career at the bank. So did Anthony Scaramucci, one of Trump's top transition advisors. Goldman's president spent an hour schmoozing with President-elect Donald Trump on Tuesday and could be up for an administration job, possibly as director of the Office of Management and Budget. People close to Cohn and the transition said, Cohn, a longtime commodities trader, is friendly with Trump's powerful son-in-law, 
Jared Kushner. It's a stunning reversal of fortune for Goldman, a longtime Washington power that fell out of favor following the financial crisis. CEO Lloyd Blankfein got hauled before Congress, along with other Wall Street executives, to account for their behavior. And Trump, who ran as a populist and bashed Wall Street on the campaign trail, featured Blankfein as a shady and dangerous character in his final campaign ad. Now, we also know that Hillary Clinton, uh, as Secretary of State, she did favors for donors. She gave them special access and changed her political positions for them. Uh, And Donald Trump is showing that he's also doing favors for donors. So the Washington Post states the three latest nominees tapped by President-elect Donald Trump were major financial backers of his White House campaign. Their selection deepens the role that wealthy donors are playing in shaping the new administration, despite Trump's oft-repeated pledge to, quote, drain the swamp of special interests. Steve Mnuchin, Trump's pick for Treasury Secretary, served as his national finance chairman, helping organize dozens of high-dollar campaign fundraisers held across the country. Billionaire investor Wilbur Ross, who Trump selected as his Commerce Secretary, was an early financial supporter of Trump's campaign. Trump selected Chicago Cubs co-owner Todd Ricketts to serve as Deputy Commerce Secretary. His father helped finance Future 45, a super PAC that spent lavishly for Trump in the final weeks of his campaign. TD Ameritrade founder Joe Ricketts gave the group at least $1 million through the end of September FEC filing show. That sounds a bit like corruption now, doesn't it? Those spoils that he's giving? So it did not, does not look good at this point for uh, for the incoming Trump administration. I want to uh, I want to drill down a little bit more about some of those pointies. Uh, there's a lot that's been said. Uh, one point, one uh, one one appointee. Elaine Chao. Elaine Chao is Mitch McConnell's wife. Mitch McConnell, total Republican establishment. He's been uh, he's been majority majority leader in the U.S. Senate. His wife uh, was appointed as as Treasury as Transportation Secretary by Trump. Okay, this is someone who, apart from her husband, was a Washington insider. She had been at Heritage Heritage again, part of the. Uh, neoconservative illusion to give us two choices. Uh, <laughs> uh, Senate, uh, here we go. Top Senate Democrats signaled that Chow may not face much of a fight to get confirmed, with incoming Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer congratulating her earlier on Tuesday for her expected nomination, praising her for a long history of service to our country. Uh, n- need I need I say more? That was from Liberty, Liberty Blitzkrieg. That's a really good site, Liberty. Liberty Blitzkrieg. Chow, uh, it gets worse with her. Uh, she had ties to the anti-coal Bloomberg Foundation. Uh, she was married, being married to McConnell, who supported the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which yeah, Trump has opposed these deals, supposedly. Uh, she was uh, Labor Secretary under George W. Bush. And Chinese dissidents did not appreciate that because uh, she was basically working to suppress any discussion about violation of human rights abuses in China. And Mitch McConnell has been called the China's biggest Republican uh, supporter in the U.S. Senate. And she did want normalized trade with China. That's uh, that's what we get with Elaine 
Ciao. Mnuchin, to me, is, is I mean, the biggest smoking gun. I think the gun is, is smoking. I think it's still firing when you look at Mnuchin. Because not just of the 17 years in the past with Goldman Sachs. With Mnuchin, uh, it's this whole, it's his career, <laughs> what he's done afterwards again with IndyMac. Again, I go back to Liberty Blitzkrieg, Michael Krieger, Liberty, LibertyBlitzkrieg.com, had, uh, had done some of this research. And I'll quote from that piece. The, uh, the fact that Steve Mnuchin was Goldman Sachs partner is at least of my concerns when it comes to the man. Indeed, if someone wanted to create a playing card deck of sleazy Wall Street financial crisis opportunists, it'd be hard not to include Steve Mnuchin. What exactly am I talking about? Specifically, I'm referring to the collapse of IndyMac, renamed One West, and the generous helping of government welfare Mnuchin and his partners received upon purchasing the failed banking institution. This is a financial crisis saga that is unknown to most despite having received some extension of coverage over the past year. One of the best articles on the topic was written by David Dane in his, in his piece, Donald Trump finance share is the anti-populist from hell. Here's a few excerpts. Donald Trump's first major staff selection since securing the Republican nomination, National Finance Chairman Steve Mnuchin co-founded and managed the hedge fund Dune Capital. Not only did he make partner at Goldman Sachs, so did his father in the 1960s. With over 30 years of experience at the top levels of finance, Mnuchin was present for every recent major banking innovation, including those that brought the country to the brink of economic collapse. Mnuchin's presence in the campaign reveals how the qualities Trump loyalists projected on the hero don't match up to the truth. They have venerated him throughout the Republican primary for rejecting the dirty business of pay-to-play politics and for populist vows to protect the ordinary worker. But in selecting Mnuchin, not only has Trump submitted to the realities of presidential campaign finance, he's chosen one of the most notorious bankers in America to carry it out. After IndyMac failed, Dune led the investment group that purchased it from the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation in 2009, renaming it One West Bank. Mnuchin became One West president, One West's principal owner and chairman. One West accomplished these foreclosures through fraud. Okay. Uh, Erica Johnson, Seek, a vice president of foreclosure and bankruptcy from One West, explained in a July 2009 deposition that she robo-signed 6,000 foreclosure-related documents per week, spending just 30 seconds on each sworn affidavit that attested to the veracity of all relevant information in the case. Johnson, Seck admitted to not reading the documents before signing them, to not knowing how the records were generated, and to not signing in the presence of a notary, all of which made the affidavit she signed false evidence in court. The One West subsidiary Financial Freedom executed 39% of all foreclosures on reverse mortgages between 2009 and 2015, despite servicing only 17% of the market, according to data from the Department of Housing and Urban Development obtained by the California Reinvestment Coalition. Coalition. One West disclosed in its most recent annual report that's under investigation for its disproportionate share of widow 
foreclosures. I said widow foreclosures by HUD's inspector general. The victims include 103-year-old Myrtle Lewis of North Texas, who won West put into foreclosure after her insurance coverage lapsed. And also includes Karen Hunziker, who got a foreclosure notice from One West 10 days after her husband passed away in 2004, and a host of others. Okay, then there's there's this nation piece that's quoted. Uh, they had some details about the sweetheart deal the government gave Mnuchin and his team for the privilege of turning around to abuse average Americans. This is an excerpt from the, from the nation piece, The Worst of Wall Street, Meet Donald Trump's finance chair. This is uh, the next. The next two paragraphs are amazing. Uh, the Mnuchin Group paid FDIC, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, $1.5 billion for the bank. Okay, that was the IndyMac deal, far less than the value of IndyMac's assets. The FDIC was so desperate to unload IndyMac that Mnuchin and his colleagues were able to obtain, as part of the purchase deal, a so-called shared loss agreement from the FDIC which reimbursed these billionaires for much of their costs of foreclosing on people unlucky enough to have mortgages from IndyMac. Within a year, within a year, the group that the Los Angeles Times called a billionaire's club of private financiers had paid themselves dividends of $1.57 billion. In other words, the FDIC took much of the risk by subsidizing the bank's troubled assets while Mnuchin and his colleagues pocketed, pocketed the profits. Did, did you check out the, the math there? It's real simple. Mnuchin and, and his financial wizards uh, paid the FDIC $1.5 billion for IndyMac. Yeah, they get in, then they raid it, they start foreclosing massively, illegally. You, I read that about the illegal affidavits and all. $1.5 billion. All right, eventually he names it, renames it One West. Within a year of that purchase... Then they paid themselves 1.57 billion in dividends. <laughs> I mean, this this is this is the Treasury Secretary, and this is who an allegedly populist president is going to use to help the people, to help us, to help the common man. I uh, I think not. I think not. A lot more could be said about certain cabinet picks, but. I just really wanted to park on, I wanted to focus on Mnuchin as Treasury Secretary and about the fact that Donald, Donald J. Trump has really, yet once again, spoken out of both sides of his mouth when he rightly went after and criticized Rafael Ted Cruz during the primary, when he rightly criticized Hillary Rodham Clinton during the general election for the ties to Goldman Sachs, and now... He has this character as Treasury Secretary. Uh, severe lack of credibility there. Severe lack of credibility. One thing before I wrap up the show I do want to address is, and it uh, obviously ties into what Trump is going to face day one, what he's facing now, and that's this whole scenario about Russia having hacked the election. Okay. As I said before, there's no evidence that Russia was the one who hacked the DNC that hacked Podesta's emails. Uh, someone did some hacking. Some information was leaked. Some was hacked. Podesta did not protect his Gmail account well. This has all come out. But the fascinating thing about all this uh, is that no one disputes the fact 
that the information that came out was all true. No one disputes this. In other words, we see again more incredible you know, attempted mind, mind control manipulation of the populace, which is working with a lot of people, not just Democrats uh, or Demo- those sympathetic to uh, Hillary. But Gussing, the media intentionally, isn't saying that even if it was Russian, there's at this point, there, there's no evidence that that's the case. But even if it was, they don't want to address the fact that they're going to say Russia then, or whoever did it, was wrong for exposing what was true to voters. Do, 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 you, see, do you see the immorality in that, how perverse it is? It's wrong for someone to release information that's true that reveals corruption. Uh, ben Swan, who's a patriot, uh, he did uh, he did an excellent piece. If you want to see the whole video, I'm just going to play, play parts of it. Go on YouTube and look for Reality Check. Five problems with the CIA claim that Russia hacked. Reality Check, five, plain, five claims, five problems with the CIA claim that Russia hacked. Or just go uh, Ben Swan, Reality Check on uh, YouTube, and uh, you can find that one. But I'm just gonna I'm just gonna play the end of this video where he really he really summarizes the he gets to the heart of what's wrong with this story and how once again the U.S. people are being lied to and manipulated. And that leads us to our fifth problem: the fact that repeatedly Julian Assange, the founder of WikiLeaks, has said that the DNC leak was not a hack. It was information leaked to WikiLeaks from someone inside the DNC. Well, only days ago, a former British ambassador to Uzbekistan, Craig Murray, said that he has met the person who gave the DNC emails to Assange and to WikiLeaks, and he says it is not the Russians. Quote, I know who leaked them, Murray told the UK Guardian. I've met the person who leaked them, and they are certainly not Russian, and it's an insider. It's a leak, not a hack. The two are different things. So what you need to know is that on top of all of these questions is one fundamental issue that everyone is missing. The claim is that Russia decided to hack the election not by altering voting results, but by making public actual emails from the Clinton campaign and the DNC. Look, I have said this before and I will say it again. How bizarre is it that the argument is not that the Russians were trying to influence the election through lies or electronic voting, but rather the claim, if you really boil it down, is that the Russians swayed the election for Donald Trump by revealing the truth about the Clinton campaign and the truth about the DNC. That's reality check. Let's talk about that on Twitter. So the CIA says that... Ben Swan again does some fine, fine work there. He's down at affiliate, CBS affiliate in Atlanta. And uh, he really called that, well, they lie to us. Uh, the media lies to us in many ways, and that came out more, more clearly during during the campaign. That was good. That was that was a very good thing that came out. Uh, and once again, as I said before, Trump running helped further expose the two-party system, how it's fraudulent. Uh, Democrats attempt to manipulate, control, and uh, really abuse their bases if they refuse to vote outside the party, the party that they're part of. That's a complete and total lie. John Kasich, governor of Ohio, refused to endorse or vote for Trump, period. End of story. Case closed on that. But Donald J. Trump, in spite of the rhetoric, 
in spite of the rhetoric about making America great again, about standing for U.S. workers, uh, about securing the border. Uh, who is he surrounding himself with? I do think, once again, Trump believes Trump may have good motives. It is possible. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Because if he's arrogant enough to think he could play these people or manipulate these people, uh, they're playing him. Uh, they're playing him. That's probably the best that could be said about Donald J. Trump at this point. We're going to see what's going to happen. Uh, we'll see. We'll see in the new year. We'll see after Donald Trump is uh, is installed as the next president of the United States. We'll see what unfolds. I do not expect good things, even though he has capitulated directly or indirectly to the shadow government based upon the people, including Mike Pence, he surrounded himself with. They are still going to test Donald Trump, and I still believe they're going to break him. At the very least, they'll make him next Herbert Hoover and further wreck the economy. And at worst, uh, expect to see some very, very mysterious events. Expect to see perhaps some domestic terrorist attacks. And expect to see further erosion of our civil liberties, liberties and ex- expansion of the police state under Donald J. Trump. We shall see. Stay tuned. Thank you. To Pudge and Miller again for letting me use his platform. You're listening to the KIRP radio show. Last Friday's with Rocco P. Last Friday of the calendar year. And this show is a wrap. KIRP radio! Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.